0: been a great blessing to me uh, over the past few years, and whether you know it or not, your church has been a blessing to us at Nashville, especially in your prayers for, uh, for myself and uh, Jason. We have appreciated you and your witness for Christ here, and uh, so I do count it an honor to be able to open God's Word with you this evening. And as Pastor Justin said, I will be talking about and working through what does Scripture say about this very important issue of adoption. It's something that has become, praise, praise God, by His grace, something that's spoken of more in uh, the Christian world and in church life now than it was even when I was a, a little younger, uh, 10 or 15 years ago, and uh, I praise God for that, but it's still something that I don't think we have enough attention on in the local church body. Uh, I don't know what the condition is like here at uh, Mount Hermon. You may be very well versed in adoption and in the uh, scriptural urge for us to be involved in orphan care? Uh, Maybe not, but I hope tonight as we look at some passages in Scripture that talk uh, specifically about this issue, that you'll be encouraged and the Lord maybe will even ignite a fire in in, in this church to be uh, seeking out after orphans. Here is kind of how my wife and I, over the past few years, developed just a deep love and passion for orphan ministry. Basically, about seven years ago, so it was about 2005, I was finishing up my undergrad. And I was praying, you know, Lord, show me something you want me to do with the rest of my life outside of ministry. I knew he already called me to ministry. I was already involved in ministry. But I was really seeking God to open up my heart on something I could do outside of the church doors in a personal way. Something my family could do in terms of ministry. And something God really began to impress on my heart was, was orphans. And so by the end of 2005, I had come to a conclusion that God had started preparing my heart and was specifically calling me, regardless of whatever my personal family would look like, to adopt children. And so I prayed and I said, Lord, if this is really what you're calling me to, if you call me to have a wife, if you bring a wife into my life, uh, she's going to have to want the same thing, because that would be kind of a difficult thing, you know, If, if one person wants to adopt children and the other one doesn't. So little did I know that my wife at the same time was seeking God, and she believed that God had called her to adopt children. And uh, we had, apart from one another, had never met one another until, what was it, late, Um, mid-2007. We've only been married about four years, so we're still in the newlywed stage. Uh, But it was about mid-2007 that we met one another, and immediately, I was like, wow. This is a beautiful woman, and I've heard that she loves the Lord. And people have talked about books that she likes, that I liked, and, and, and things that we had in common interest-wise, and, and just that we had very similar uh, faith. And so we began to just kind of friendly talk to one another on a friendly basis and get to know one another. And finally I asked her if we could uh, meet and, and spend some time together and have dinner and talk more about maybe considering having a relationship together. And it was a, a normal first kind of date. We were uh, talking about things we wanted in life, favorite coffee drinks. And then in the middle of that, I was like, I need to ask you a question. How about adoption? It was a very heavy first date question. (laughs) Um, But praise the Lord. As soon as she said, well, actually, I I, I didn't think I would ever get married, but I still knew that God wanted me to adopt children, which is the same thing I had thought. So it was like the sky parted in the middle of the steakhouse, like a beam of light came down, there were angels fluttering and singing, and I was like, I will marry her, and, and it, was, it was a beautiful thing, and uh, praise the Lord, just a, a few years, well, not, not even a year later, well, a little over a year later, yeah, like a year and a month later, we were married, and uh, we've been married a little over four years, and you heard my son uh, singing out as we were praying, uh, Jude, he is eight months old, and the Lord has blessed us with him. But one of the things we really have a passion for and we really want God to bless us with are children who are not our own biologically. And we really believe that that is a ministry God has called us to. And here's what happened for us individually and in particular uh, me as I would look through the scripture and try to see what it is that God was calling me to. Here's kind of how God put this in the forefront of my mind. I was reading through the book of James. And if you're familiar with the book of James, there's a whole lot of really practical stuff. Uh, You read through James, you see this whole conversation about our works revealing that we have been changed by the gospel. As we live out the gospel, our works reveal it. And if you want to go ahead and put your finger in in James, we're going to be there just a second. There'll be two other places you might want to stick your finger. And I hate to jump around so much, but this is more of a survey than working through a single passage. You also might want to put your finger in Galatians and Ephesians. As I was reading through this book and and seeing different things that were very practical, things that work on any of our hearts as we go to the scripture that that convict us, uh, things like be uh, not just hearers of the word, but doers also. As you read all these things in James, such a practical book, a book that that really does reveal how to live out a gospel lifestyle. I came at the end of uh, chapter 1 to verse 27. And after talking, seeing it earlier in this chapter, James say, again, don't just be hearers of the word, but doers also. Live out what you believe. If you've been changed by the gospel, you're not just going to sit around and accumulate facts. It's going to affect the way you live your life. He comes down at the end of the chapter, and he says this. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained, from the world, And if you look there where it says, uh, and not that we're going to ignore widows, but tonight we're going to really focus in on orphans. Uh, but it says there to visit. Another way to translate that would be to care for. And in fact, the idea for visiting orphans is not just that we would take time to just go visit an orphan in an orphanage or just spend a few moments with a child who is without parents, but that we would really invest in them and care for them. And as I was reading through this book, and as I really came down to this passage in particular, this section of Scripture, and was confronted with the fact I hadn't been doing this. I mean, almost 22 years of age, I hadn't done any of that. I hadn't spent any time living out the gospel by caring for orphans in any way, shape, or form. And I felt very bad about that. I felt terrible about it. Because here in a book all about living out the gospel in everyday life... Here's something that he boils down to. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this. Care for orphans. And I hadn't done that. And God used that to open my heart and to convict me and to reveal to me that he had called me specifically in my eventual family to be involved in adoption in particular, and then also orphan care in general. And in fact, he calls all Christians, and that's the point of this. He calls all Christians to be actively involved in caring for those without parents. And I think you'll see this evening as we walk through some sections of Scripture together, it's because God's heart is for the orphan. Over and over again through Scripture, God cares about orphans, and He expects us to do the same. Uh, what I want to submit to you this evening is that at the heart of the Christian faith is adoption. Adoption. The very heart of our faith is adoption. And I'm going to give you a good Southern Baptist sermon tonight. Message. There'll be three points. There will be no poem at the end. Okay, only a few people got that. Thank you for the pity laugh. Um, But just three quick things that I want you to see that's true about the fact that God has at the center of the Christian faith This story of adoption. And the first thing I want you to see as we look at the text of Scripture together is this. That uh, the gospel itself, the very message of the gospel, the very message by which we are saved is actually a story of adoption. It is actually a story of adoption. Of adoption, When we talk about adoption in churches, and praise God again that that it's becoming more prevalent to hear churches, I think of David Platt's church in particular, that have really taken adoption as their mission, uh, to to adopt children into families, to care for orphans. But one of the things that's so uncomfortable oftentimes in, in Christian circles to talk about adoption is it seems so foreign to so many people. I know growing up my entire life, I didn't know anyone that was adopted. I didn't know anyone that had adopted. And it was very strange to me when I started meeting people who had. And what I didn't realize is that all the years I had spent knowing Christ, having been saved from my sins, were years I spent as an adopted son. And so if you were here this evening as someone who has been changed by the grace of God, you've been brought into the family of God, you've been saved from your sins by trusting in Christ, you are an adopted child. Adoption is one of the most natural and common things that should be on the lips of Christians. Adoption shouldn't be foreign to any of us because all of us here that are in Christ have experienced it and have experienced it in a powerful and amazing way. And I want you to see that from Galatians chapter 4, if you'd flip there. In Galatians chapter 4 and verses 4 through 7. And like I said, we're going to jump around to a couple passages. I'll try and give you a heads up before we move. But but notice what Paul says here. Specifically about adoption. He writes this, beginning in verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that... We might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. What a beautiful Beautiful description of what happens when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when the grace of God pierces our hearts and saves us from our sins, we are adopted into the family of God. Now, I want you to see just a couple things about adoption from this. Look back at verse 5. What you see here is there's a transaction, there's an actual legal transaction that happens by which we are taken from death to life, and we are taken from, unfortunately, the way Scripture describes it, and it's true. It's just unfortunate for us under the headship of, of Satan, the fallen headship of, of Adam, into the family of God. We are legally, legally declared a member of God's family. The same thing happens in adoption today. When we go to adopt children, what happens? They, some judge somewhere will legally declare, this child is now a part of your family. This child now belongs to you. The same thing happens to us, but it happens to us, of course, on a grander scale. But adoption... Begins with a legal declaration that you are now a part of some some family that you were not a part of before. And it's an amazing thing that God does for us. I'll look then down further in verse 6. So here's what happens. God not only has us legally declared by the sacrifice of Christ, the payment of Christ on our behalf, as a member of His family, He doesn't just give us a seat at the proverbial family table. He just doesn't give us the family name he calls us into an intimate family relationship with Him. The fact that we can cry out to Him as Abba, Father. Think about that for a second. If, if you were a Jewish boy or a Jewish girl at this time, you would use this Aramaic term as a sign of intimate uh, love for your father. It's a term of endearment. It's not just like, and, and I don't mean this flippantly. Of course, we need to approach God reverently, but it's not approaching your father as, oh, father, could I speak with you? It's a daddy. I, every time I, I read this and I, and I think of my own son, my heart melts. My son at eight months old will sit in my lap and he will take one hand and start stroking my beard. And with the other hand, he, and it's, it's weird because he still somehow talks like this. He'll take his, and he sucks his thumb like this, which I haven't I really figured out why, but he'll suck his thumb like this, and he'll start stroking my beard while he sits in my lap, and he'll pop his thumb out every night and look at me and go, da-da, and then go right back to sucking his thumb. It's this loving, tender moment we have, and it, we have it on a daily basis. But the idea of calling God Abba is this. This is the type of term that was uttered from a child to their father when they were in some type of loving moment. Whether it was a child sitting in their father's lap and being loved by their father or whether they were hugging their father. We are brought into the family of God in such a way that we don't just have a seat at the table. We don't just have the family name, but he invites us to have an intimate relationship with him. How blessed are we We who were foreign, we were far from from the family of God, brought in to have an intimate relationship with Him. A deep, intimate relationship with God. But it goes further and it gets better. Orphans do not have an inheritance. I hope when I pass away, I leave to my children a little bit of something. I I hope that. I hope I can give them something to put away for their children or to pay off debts they may have. Orphans don't have an inheritance. There are no parents to give them anything. There are no parents to leave anything behind for them. But look what happens to us. And we were the same way in a spiritual sense. In verse 7, he says, So no longer are you a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So we're not just given a seat at the family table, we're not just given the family name. We're not just invited by the Father into this deep, intimate family relationship with Him. We are given an inheritance, an eternal inheritance as part of our adoption. We are given Jesus forever. What a picture. You and I, if we have trusted Christ, we have turned from our sins, we have been adopted into the family of God, and we have all the rights and privileges thereof. We can look to God as our Father in a deep, intimate sense not in just some distant removed sense and just just that picture alone should inspire us to care for orphans to care for those as a picture as as a way of living out a picture of the gospel to care for those who do not themselves have parents but let's keep moving really quickly Romans chapter 8 we see the same type of language used again by Paul Speaking of our adoption, Romans 8, verses 15 and 16. And Paul says this, You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, how many of you, and I imagine all of you have, uh, have heard, in some general sense, in Christian culture, even in sometimes in unchristian, non-Christian culture, where people will make a statement like this, we should all get along because, after all, we're all the children of God. How many of you have heard people say that? A few of you, yeah? I've said that before. If you look through the text of Scripture, and here again we see Paul talking about the fact of adoption, In fact, we are brought into God's family so we can talk about him and refer to him in these deep, intimate family terms. Before that happens, we're not the children of God. In fact, no one is the child of God. If you look at the totality of Scripture, what you see is there is only one Son of God, Jesus. As As he's referred to in John's Gospel, he's the monogamous, the one and only of his kind, the only Son of God. He is the only one who has the right as the second person of the Trinity Incarnate to be called the child of God. All the rest of us have to be adopted. There is no other way for us to be a part of God's family except through adoption. So the most natural thing for us to talk about as Christians, as members of God's family, as part of the church body, is adoption. This should be constantly and consistently on our minds. One last passage we'll look at uh, from Paul. Ephesians chapter 1. if you'd flip there, and I really wish we could just walk through this whole chapter, but time will not permit. And I encourage you to go back and and read all of chapter 1, or or even read the whole letter. As you see, it begins the beginning of of the letter with this whole idea of adoption, and it goes through all the blessings we have in Christ, what we have in Christ, and and you'll see that term come up over and over again, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in what God has given us in Christ. But Paul writes this, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, He says, in love. Just stop there for a second. The fact that we could begin any phrase referring to us on something God has done towards us, that we could begin it in love, should be staggering. We who deserve nothing but the wrath of God, the justice of God, the judgment of God, and we could have in the scripture described by Paul, God's action towards us this way, in love. Love. In an act of love, God did this. And here's what he did. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will and to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, or Jesus. Just as we today, if we adopt children, we have to plan for that child, we have to prepare for that child, God planned and prepared for all those he would adopt. To, to adopt his elect people, he planned and prepared before eternity uh, and eternity passed, before the foundation of the world. If you were here and you are a child of God because you have turned from your sins and trusted Christ, before the foundation of the world, God set into motion a plan to adopt you and to adopt me. What grace God has given us. Adoption. Now, today we set into motion plans to adopt children, and it's routinely, uh, it's not uncommon for them to fail. But God's plan to adopt us will never fail, has never failed, cannot fail, because He does not fail. But your salvation was planned in eternity past by God as an act of adoption. And so here is my uh, challenge to you as we go move on from this into uh, another point live this out. Live out this message. The gospel message is a message of adoption. And if we are going to live gospel-driven lives, if we're going to live lives that are a picture of the gospel, then our lives must demonstrate the truth that at the center of the gospel, at the heart of the gospel message, is the message of adoption. Doesn't mean every single person, every single person that's a believer in Jesus Christ, every single member of every church, should adopt a child. I'm not trying to convince everyone of that this evening. But what I am trying to say is that if we are true believers in Jesus Christ, we've been changed by the gospel, then we must live out orphan care. We must be the people leading the charge on caring for orphans and bringing children into families, children that don't have families. We must be the ones that lead that charge. And here's another reason why I believe that we could say at the heart of the Christian faith is adoption. And that's because adoption... Is or can be mission. We spend so much time, especially as Baptists, thinking about strategizing on, and that, that, that's good to strategize on who we can reach with the gospel, how we can reach them. We spend lots of money planning, we spend lots of time formulating uh, uh, plans to go into people groups and give them the gospel. We try to identify large segments of the world's population that have never heard the gospel message. And we have an incredibly large population in the world that doesn't have the gospel, and they're called orphans. Right now, the mission field laid out called orphans is so huge and almost completely untapped, almost completely untouched with the gospel. In the world today, between one day of age and 18 years of age, there are approximately 210 million orphans that's larger, much larger, 33% larger the entire population of Russia. If you could round all the orphans up and put them in their own landmass and call it a nation, it'd be one of the largest nations in the world. And the vast majority, not all orphans, but the vast majority of orphans live in context that they're either anti-Christian, secular, atheistic, Muslim, or pagan in general. So the vast majority of these 210 million children will never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, or will only hear it in passing, and will not hear it preached as it should be. 210 million people untouched, virtually untouched by the gospel. Children. And here's what's amazing. We have an incredible opportunity now, because for one of the first times in history we can identify where most of the orphans in the world are, the early church made a name for itself and its communities through a number of, of things they did to minister and to try and reach out to people with the gospel. One of the primary things, if you look through church history, that was effective in the early church for reaching lost people was that the Christians in a community would find the orphans and bring them into their homes and care for them. And so these pagan contexts, these pagan cultures, would look to these Christian people, why are you caring for these these children who live in the streets why are you bringing them into your why are you adopting them why are you seeking these people out why are you feeding them why are you clothing them why are you giving them your name why would you do that in the early church it made such an impact that the first christians did this intentionally we had the same opportunity today and unfortunately christians Worldwide have not been as proactive about this as we could be. There have been wonderful people in the modern church history who have sought to start orphanages, to reach out to orphans, to bring attention to orphan care. But by and large, churches do not have as one of their main thrusts reaching out to orphans. And what you have in the early church, when you see what the first Christians were doing, they were, their numbers were swelling because they were reaching out to widows, and especially orphans. And so many of the first Christians, many uh, and many of the early churches that were getting started in different cities were made up of orphans, people without parents. You and I can do the same thing today. We can bring children from around the world from pagan contexts. Praise God, many pagan, atheistic, non-Christian or anti-Christian nations have opened up international adoption and we can bring these children into our homes. We can bring them into our churches. We can raise them, whether they, God chooses to save them or not, we can raise them in homes where they hear the gospel, they see the gospel lived out on a daily basis. And to give you an idea of how urgent this is, let me just kind of overwhelm you for a minute with some numbers and some statistics. So bear with me. Every single day, 5,800 more children become orphans worldwide. 5,800 children became orphans today. By the time I finish tonight talking about uh, orphans, 20 orphans will have died from 100% preventable diseases, preventable preventable illnesses, things that you and I could have gone down to a local CVS and gotten medicine for and been okay, and they will perish because they have not had access to that type of care. Again, largely children who have never heard the gospel of Jesus. No, No access to the gospel message. And if it wasn't staggering enough that 5,800 children a day are being added uh, to the total number of orphans, only about 250,000 orphans a year are actually adopted. Praise God, the vast majority of those adopting these children are in fact Christians. But that leaves so many, I I mean, well over 209 million children still orphans. Little to no access to the gospel. Little to no access to medical care. Little to no access to, to good nutrition, all around the world, just waiting, just waiting. And the the scary thing is of these children, as the estimates are this high that fifty percent of them will die by the age of twenty-one, of orphans around the world, having never heard the good news of Jesus Christ, having never been exposed to the gospel. And of those that don't die, but just age out of orphan systems that there even exist in a country, but basically, once once they're beyond the age of 16, they're kind of, in the broad numbers, they're counted, but they're not really considered orphans anymore. They're just on their own. Of children who survive to the age of 16 and do just kind of go out and live on their own, 60% of the girls become slaves. Again, having never heard the gospel, never heard the good news of Jesus, little, no access to medical care, bad nutrition, and they become slaves for the rest of their lives. 60%. 70% of the boys become violent criminals, and spend the rest of their lives in prison. This is a mission field ripe and waiting. And we, as the Church of Jesus Christ, could do something, anything, to take the gospel to them. Or we could bring the mission field to us and start adopting these children into our families. We could start bringing them here Again, into our Christian homes where they can see the gospel lived out on a daily basis, into our churches where they can hear the gospel. Doesn't mean they'll believe. We know that. But we will have put forth an effort to bring the mission field, the foreign mission field, into our homes. And there are a couple of reasons why, and I'm just going to be very open and honest with you, why I have considered and argued with myself in my heart and in my mind as why I shouldn't do this. Why I should not plan and be preparing even now to adopt children from around the world into our family. And the first reason I'll give you is this. Heartache. The potential for heartache is immense. Uh, Bringing a child into your home, into a foreign culture, especially if they're an older child, into a Christian context and they're coming from a pagan culture, an atheistic culture, anti-Christian culture, whatever it might be, and you're expecting them just to become a part of your family, and you have all heard the horror stories of the terrible things that have happened, children turning their back on God and turning their back on their adoptive family, and when they're old enough, they leave, and that's it. We've all heard those horror stories. I've heard many of those horror stories. And so the fear of heartache, the fact that my heart could be broken, I could extend my heart to this child in love and have them reject me. That's scary. But then I step back and think about be, just being a parent in general. Being a parent who raises your children in a godly home is no guarantee that they're going to love you or the Lord. They may reject you and turn their back on the faith and leave you behind. Heartache is just part of being a parent. It's all the potential is always there. And what I can promise you is, and assure you is, for every horror story you've heard about adoption, there are dozens or hundreds of success stories, of children being brought into Christian homes, being brought into churches, and embracing Jesus Christ, and loving their families, and being a true member of that family, and being a true member of the body of Christ. The reason we hear mostly about the horror stories, and the painful stories, and the stories of heartache, is the same reason when you turn on the evening news, all you hear is bad news. There's something about our culture where that's what we want to hear. We don't want to hear about all the people saved from fires, or saved from violent crime. We want to hear about the violent crimes and the fires. And the same thing happens when we talk about orphans and, and adoption. We don't tend to share the stories with other people that we've heard about a child being adopted, coming to faith in Jesus Christ, and, and just being a true part of a family. We tend to share the stories, the horror stories we've heard, of the broken hearts. And when I think of God as my father, and how, not that God hurts and aches in the same way we do, but when I think of the ways I've rebelled against him and turned my back on him, and he still sought me and bought me and loved me anyway, how could I ever allow the potential for heartache or rejection keep me from doing this? And I'm just being open and honest with you. I'm not saying this has to be true for you, but I just want to be transparent. That's something I've struggled with, the whole issue of heartache. And then I think about the issue of cost. Adopting a child is expensive. Having a child is expensive. My... joke to my wife sometimes, our son's on a payment plan, and I just hope Nash General Hospital doesn't have a repo program if we have a, a bad month, um, but having children is expensive, and, and, and those of you that have children know that. T- tonight, my son, before dinner, we were a little late later getting here than I wanted to be, my son sat down and wiped out two or three jars of baby food at almost a dollar a pop, and I was like, wow, um, but even as a little boy, he's, he's expensive, He's worth the cost. Anything in life, and, it, and this is what the Lord has had to work on my heart about, anything in life that is of great value is usually expensive. Usually. Now, there are certain things that are exceptions to that. But anything of great value is generally expensive. It's costly in some sense. There is nothing of greater value than the souls of children. There's nothing of greater value than taking the gospel to children. How could we ever allow cost prevent us to step out in faith to adopt children when i think of the cost it was for god to adopt me into his family it wasn't monetary cost it was the cost of the second person of the trinity jesus christ taking on human flesh being humiliated and being crucified on a cross on my behalf the ultimate price was paid to adopt me and to adopt you So cost, the costliness of adoption should never be a factor in preventing us from carrying out what God has called us to do in caring for orphans or adopting. The last thing I want to point out to you, a a reason why I believe that adoption and orphan care is at the heart of the Christian faith is this. If you look at the totality of Scripture, what you see is that God's heart is for orphans, for orphan care, and for adoption. And you see this all throughout Scripture. Just briefly, I'm going to read a couple things to you. Uh, You see in Psalm 68, God is described as the father to the fatherless. Is there not a more comforting description of God? You may have had a father growing up. He may have been a wonderful father. And so this, this, this passage doesn't necessarily jump out to you as a comforting passage. You may have had a father who wasn't a good father. And this may be a comfort to you. But think of to orphans around the world to know that there's not just a God there who, is, who can be known through Jesus Christ, but there's a God there who through Jesus Christ can be their father in a way that no earthly father could ever be their father. You look elsewhere in the Psalms, you see Psalm 82, 3, uh, speaking of what's expected of us, it says, Give justice to the weak and the fatherless and maintain the rights of the afflicted and the destitute. We are called as God's people to care for those who have no parents. We can't be lax on this. 210 million children around the world, and I'm going to repeat it again, with little to no access to the gospel, they are a mission field waiting for us. And in most countries, even in Muslim contexts, and I have been shocked by this, most Muslim nations or now there are some exceptions like Iran and some others that are completely closed off, but many Muslim nations are allowing groups to come in and help them care for orphans. It's an open door. It's a back door to get the gospel in. Uh, India just recently opened up its doors to allow Christians to come in and adopt children. Just a few decades ago, that wouldn't have happened no matter what. God has opened a door where, and in India you're not allowed to come in openly as a missionary and spread the gospel. in most most portions of india but you can come in and care for orphans as a christian and if you share the gospel with them that's okay because you're caring for orphans it is an open door for us to get the gospel in nations where the gospel hasn't previously been god has given us an incredible opportunity but i want you to see elsewhere how we can know that god's heart is for orphans let me just give you a couple of examples from scripture of people who were adopted or are orphans that god used uh, aside from the fact that David adopted, and David is described as a man after God's own heart, let me just give you three persons from Scripture. Moses, an orphan. Now, willingly, his parents gave him up to save his life. Adopted into the family of Pharaoh, God uses Moses, an adopted son, to free his people from slavery to protect and maintain the bloodline of the Messiah. Esther. Parents, Her parents die. She's adopted by family members. God uses this adopted child who was an orphan to save his people from destruction to maintain the bloodline of the Messiah. And here's the one that I've read over and over again, and I cannot tell you how shocked I was to actually step back and think of it this way in terms of adoption. I've read the Gospels. I cannot tell you how many times. I'm sure you've read the Gospels over and over and over again. And yet it evaded me until just... The past few years, Jesus Christ adopted by Joseph as his earthly father. God in the flesh, second person of the Trinity, an adopted child. And I haven't cared about orphans. I haven't cared about people who were adopted. The Son of God was adopted. Is that not a staggering thought? We, we, we give no consideration in general, or at least not as much as we should, to this whole idea of adoption. And God in his foreknowledge, God in his plan, his foreordination saw fit that the second person of the Trinity would come to earth, take on flesh, and have a man who was not biologically his father adopt him and raise him. And think about the cost of this for, for Joseph. Joseph has a wife who has a child, who's pregnant with a child, out of wedlock, and he purposes to adopt this child you know, who God has revealed will be the one who saves his people. Uh, but Joseph, at the cost of his reputation, potentially the cost of people uh, hiring him as a carpenter because it's shameful for him to marry this woman, uh, the cost of his reputation, potentially his family shunning him from actually going through with the marriage with Mary and adopting Jesus to raise Jesus as his own son. Joseph probably paid a steep cost in the culture for adopting Jesus as his own son and raising him. So if we think about, this, God care about orphans? Does God care about adoption? The gospel is a story of adoption. Orphans are the great, untouched, untapped mission field. And God has consistently and constantly throughout Scripture used people who were orphaned and adopted to bring about salvation for his people. In the Old Testament, to protect and maintain the bloodline of the Messiah. In the New Testament, to bring about the Messiah. The Messiah was adopted by Joseph. And then, of course, we know he paid the price on the cross for our sins and bought our salvation. Is God's heart for the the orphan and for us to be actively involved in orphan care and adoption? Absolutely. We should take it seriously. And just, just before we close again, and I give you just a few quick things to challenge you in ways that we can be actively involved in this. Let's just just one more time read what James said and be reminded of it. How do we live out the gospel? How are we to be not just hearers of the word, but doers also? The same section of Scripture, he summarizes it like this: Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this: to care for orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Living out the gospel means living out a picture of adoption, which means we will seek out those who need to be adopted, whether we adopt them or not. And I'm not saying every Christian is called to adoption. Let me repeat that again. I don't believe that's the case. But I do know, based upon the Word of God, every Christian is called to be actively involved in orphan care ministries in some way. These are people we need to reach out to. They should be high on our priority list to take them the gospel and to give them care and love. And let me challenge you with three simple ways that we could do that. One, go ahead and pray and ask God, are you calling me, or are you calling my family to adopt? To bring the mission field into our home by reaching out and adopting a child from somewhere around the world. And it doesn't have to be from around the world, it could be here. There are many children in North Carolina that need adopted adopt it as well. The second way is this. If you don't believe God has called your family to adopt, would you consider if God has blessed you with financial resources to use some of your financial resources to help someone else adopt? There are numerous Christians in our community who want to adopt children from around the world, want to adopt children locally, but just simply cannot afford it. There, I know of families that are literally scraping together every cent they can find and, and eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for many meals to try and save money so they can adopt children from around the world. Bring them here, live out the gospel in front of them, and bring them into our churches. So would you consider that? Would, would, and, uh, would you consider praying about maybe even, as you think about what your, whatever your missions budget is here, whatever the missions are that you give uh, generously to, consider orphan care, as something that you add to your missions budget. I'm not saying you need to do that, or if you don't do that, that's wrong. But that's something maybe you could pray about and consider as a church family, adding orphan care as part of your missions budget and your missions uh, framework and planning. And the last thing I'll give you is this. Every single one of us, even if we don't have the financial resources to help somebody else, and we're not called specifically or individually to adopt children in our family, there are orphan ministries literally littered throughout North Carolina, up and down the East Coast, and abroad, that need help. They need people, they need bodies to come and spend time with the children, they need people to come share the gospel with children, to come hold babies. Will you consider, and will you live out what James has called us to do, to have pure and undefiled religion by finding an orphan care ministry to be involved in? Live out the gospel this way. And I ask you to pray for me and my wife. We don't know when it will be that God will open the door for us to adopt. We had one little girl that we were really praying about named Chelsea in India. Uh, she had a cleft palate, so everyone needed to kind of wait for... She had to have multiple surgeries before they would release her from the country to come over here and be adopted. And we were praying about, God, will you open the door for us to adopt her? And praise the Lord, a family in Raleigh ended up adopting her, and it's a Christian family uh, that will raise her to hear the gospel and know the gospel. But please be in prayer for us. My wife and I are seeking who we can adopt, seeking where God would have us to adopt from and how many children God would have us to adopt. Uh, We want to have many children of our own uh, biologically, but we want to adopt as many children as God will call us to have. So I encourage you and challenge you. Consider living out the gospel. Consider uh, taking the good news of Jesus to orphans, either through orphan care or adoption. And may God give us the grace to be faithful in doing that. Let's pray together. Father, we do praise you that you and your goodness, your kindness, and your mercy in eternity past, just because you're good, chose a people for yourself to adopt as your children. Father, we praise you for that. We praise you for the sacrifice of Christ on behalf of sinners. Lord, we ask that you would give us a heart for the nations. And Lord, that you would give us a heart for orphans. Lord, we ask that you would also open our eyes to see ways that we can serve that we might not have otherwise known before. Lord, give us the love and the mercy and grace to do this and to do it faithfully. Lord, we ask that your gospel will be taken to the nations and that many would come to know Christ and that you would use this church, you would use my church to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.